When I was a boy, man, did I love to play baseball. I was in Little League. It was so exciting. It was so exciting to see the crowds come to watch us play. And it was so exciting when I would get a hit. Man, did I love to hit a home run because I wanted to be the hero. I'd love to make that last catch, that last out. I'd love to be a part of uh, seeing something great happen on the baseball field. I still love baseball. I love the Yankees. It's my favorite team. I love going to Yankee Stadium and I love to watch the long ball, the home run, when the batter gets up and he hits a home run and gets his team uh, out of trouble. But baseball is not a game of one person. It's actually a game of nine individuals on a baseball field working together as a team because it really takes a whole team to win a game. It's not one hero, it's not one person, but it's a group of people who really work together with one focus, with one goal, and that's to win the game and go to the World Series and win the World Series, win it all. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the home game. Why? Because there's nothing more exciting about going to a home game when you watch your home team win the game. I'm talking about another home game, though. I'm talking about the game that we play that's really not a game, but it's life, it's family. And the only way that we can have a great home life, a great family, is if everybody on the team works together. This morning, Pastor Tony is going to talk about building a great team when it comes to the home game. How many of you uh, had a great time last Sunday? Last Sunday was amazing. We had Daryl Strawberry, four-time World Series champion. This week you get me, fourth grade spelling bee champion. That's right, those words were hard. Um, but um, I hope that we are able to have a little bit of fun over the next few minutes uh, as, as the Lord uh, speaks his word. So if you'd be so kind as to open your Bibles or your Bible apps, I'm reading from the Gospel according to John, the ninth chapter. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and the scripture says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, as I was praying and studying and preparing for this week's uh, sermon, I knew that we were going to be talking about the home team, the Holy Spirit just led me to an unexpected illustration. So today's sermon is titled Home Team Healing, Home Team Healing. So let me uh, kind of bring you up to speed with, with what we're reading here. John chapter 9, we find Jesus and he's walking along and he sees a man who's blind, a man who was born blind. And so Jesus has compassion over him, and he actually spits on the ground and makes a little bit of mud with his spit, and he puts it on the eyes of the blind man, and he tells him, go uh, and rinse your face, and uh, the blind man goes, and he washes his face, and suddenly he can see Jesus gave him sight. It was a big deal. Um, a lot of people didn't understand. They, they weren't sure if there was a real miracle uh, they brought him to the Pharisees. There was a big discussion. At the end of the day, they could not deny that he had been born blind and that now he could see. And that's the end of the sermon. If the, all, if the uh, worship team would come forward, we'll, uh, some of you are like, yes, but no, no. Uh, see, the scripture in John chapter 9, um, it includes several different characters or, or, or persons uh, in this particular narrative. And I'm going to read them off to you 
in the order of, of appearance. Uh, we see Jesus. We see Jesus. Jesus, God. He's with his disciples. And they come across, number three, a blind man. So Jesus, disciples, blind man. And later on, we're introduced to the blind man's neighbors. After we're introduced to his neighbors, we're introduced to some Pharisees. And then ultimately, we're introduced to the blind man's parents. Now, because they appear in this order, it's not obvious that there's a family drama unfolding within this narrative. Uh, but there's some things that we're going to observe in this passage which are going to help us to realize that this family was in fact fractured, that this home team was handicapped. To really understand this, uh, we actually need to start with the last people that the narrative introduces us to. We need to start with this young man's parents. And their story would have started several years earlier when the young man's father was, in fact, himself a young man. And so we, we can imagine that he had a normal life, that, you know, that did the things that young men normally do, and that at one point in time, uh, a lovely young lady caught his eye, he began to court her. He began a courtship and then entered into a legally binding marriage contract. We can assume that he spent the requisite amount of time preparing their home, preparing the home that they would live in, which was the custom, before he actually took her as his wife, before they consummated their marriage. And so, eventually, and finally, the day came of their wedding banquet. A day that's filled with so much promise and hope. A day of dreams and plans. But how many of us know that sometimes plans don't work out the way that we thought they would? And so, it's their wedding day. They've got all these dreams and plans and all these thoughts. And they're going to get married and they get married. They consummate the, the, the marriage and they begin their life together. So exciting. Begin their life. We're going to do all these things. They've got all these goals all these things that they want to do. They want to, they want to raise a family because it's going to raise their social standing to have a big family, to have a bunch of kids that are good kids that, 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 you know, that, that make people notice you. And so they start working on their plans. And the Bible tells us that they had children. Now, the Bible doesn't specify how many children they actually had, but it does specify that they had at least one beautiful, bouncing baby boy. This baby boy, however, was born blind. And this blind child would define them. It would change the trajectory of their life. It would certainly affect their social standing, and it would cause family stress. They would be defined by this one blind child, even if they had 12 other healthy sons, even if they had 12 other healthy children, society would treat them differently because of this blind son. People would comment among themselves in private with these disciples just commented quite publicly, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or was it because of his parents' sins? And the family would lose any harmony that may have once existed as the, the family, the mother, the father begin to feel the stress and the pressure of being looked at differently. 
of being treated differently. And in the course of time, they likely began to slowly resent their son for being blind. The son would be considered weak. Society would think that he was weak. He was, he'd be unable to take up the family business. There would be no fond memories of this boy learning his father's craft. And there would be no warm hugs celebrating familial accomplishments. There'd be no wife in his future. He couldn't provide for one. So if this man, if this son was the only son, then he also represented the end of his father's line. And he had to carry that shame with him each and every day. His lot in life was secure. He would grow up to be a beggar. It's the only thing that society would allow him to do, to be a beggar. So he'd actually become a burden on society. People would sneer at him day after day as they walked by him, sitting most likely in the same spot with his hand held out. There'd be no opportunities for him. There'd be no options for him. And certainly there'd be no offspring for him. He lived each day in darkness. He was blind. But his parents, his parents had to stand by and watch as all of this unfolded. They watched their little boy grow up without a chance, without a future, without hope. As a child, he'd be a target. Even as an adult, he'd be a target, as a matter of fact. So much that the scriptures provide protection for him. Leviticus 19, 14 says, Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. God had to intervene and say, Hey, you mess with him, you mess with me. That was his existence. And so here's his family. They're existing, but they're not living. At least they're not living the dream that they thought they'd, they'd live. They're not living out the plans that they thought that they'd live. It seemed that all of the potential that was within their grasp once upon a time had eluded them. And if something, if anything happened to bring a smile to their face, it wouldn't last. It was short-lived. So they would all too quickly be reminded of that which was painfully unattainable. Each day, watching other men teach their sons how to fish or how to hunt or how to farm. Each trip to the market for his mother would be painful as she watched young pregnant women and knew there'd be no wife and no children for her son. Even going to the synagogue would be painful, realizing time and time again that their son would never be able to read the Isaiah scroll. Can you imagine looking around at other families and thinking to yourself that everyone else has it all? And no one knows my pain. Some of you don't have to imagine. Some of you live it every day. Now I want to pause and say that if there's anyone here who is going through a situation where you have a sick child, or you've lost a child or a lost one recently, I want to tell you that God hears your cries. He sees your tears. And he loves you still even in the midst of the unfathomable. And I want to say that if you're going through that pain, if that's you, then at the end of the service, I want to pray with you.
I want to meet you personally, and I want to pray with you. But even if that's not you, many of us here can identify with what this family was feeling. You had hopes and dreams for your family that simply didn't pan out. Maybe you had plans and expectations of how things were going to go for you or for your husband or for your wife or for your kids or for your grandkids. Maybe a job didn't work out. Maybe a relationship didn't work out. Maybe your kid didn't get into that fancy college. Maybe you or your spouse or your kid or someone close to you is a little different or has special needs. And you put on your best smile. You put on your Sunday blessed and highly favored smile. But if we look closely, it's easy to trace the tracks of your tears. Your family's hurting. Your home team seems to be on a losing streak. Maybe you haven't said it out loud. Maybe you have. You're thinking, I am this close to giving up. I am this close to giving up. I am this close to doing something. I'm this close to taking something. I'm this close to going somewhere that I know that I'll regret. But you think to yourself, anything, anything has to be better than this pain I'm living with. But I want to declare to you today that just like for this family in John chapter 9, at just the right moment, Maybe when you least expect it, and regardless of what other people think, and regardless of what other people say, at just the right moment, Jesus comes along. You can say amen to that. And so Jesus comes along. And that's where we pick up this story. Jesus saw the man who had been blind from birth, and for some reason this becomes conversation for his disciples. They asked Jesus, is he blind because he sinned or his parents sinned? Immediately, the family unit is, is kind of on attack. It's human nature. People are always trying to assign blame. Always trying to assign blame. From the very beginning, from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam, did you eat from that tree? Well, it's funny you should mention it, God, because this woman that you gave me, she gave me some fruit. It's human nature. People are going to be looking to assign blame. They're going to look at your situation and they're going to judge from the outside in, even though they don't know your story. But before you say amen, remember that you too are actually inclined to blame someone else. The same way that someone is looking at your situation and saying it's all your fault, you're probably looking at your own situation and saying it's all my husband's fault. You're looking at your own situation and saying it's, it's my wife's fault. I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for my wife. Or things would be better if it wasn't that my kid did this. Or if it wasn't that my mom did this. Or if it wasn't that my in-laws did this. Or maybe, just maybe, you're actually blaming yourself. But Jesus answers the disciples explaining that this is not because of anyone's sin. This is because God has a purpose, and that purpose is that his power would be evident in your life. And this is the interesting thing. Is that people are so quick to, to, to judge and to criticize without even thinking the whole thing through. People are so quick to speak without thinking the man was born blind yet the disciples asked if he had sinned to deserve his condition now i'm not the sharpest tool in the shed i'll admit that but when would he have sinned in order to deserve that condition in the womb what he do kick his mom too hard 
He gave her heartburn? Was he a breech birth? What did he do that would warrant, that would deserve punishment as soon as he's born? See, beware of assuming that any hardship for yourself or even for someone else is actually a punishment. That's a Pharisaic position. Jesus comes along to challenge that mindset. He challenges the mindset of those who would be quick to assign blame and offer condemnation, even if it is his very own disciples. Even if it is the people who walk with him, the people who are closest to him. Yes, sometimes the people who are supposed to be closest to Jesus open their mouth and say the wrong thing. Somebody say And so the disciples are quick to point fingers. But what is there to be gained by pointing fingers? See, I want you to listen to me very carefully. The process of assigning culpability is a waste of time and energy that could otherwise be used to find solutions. Are you hearing me? I'm going to repeat that because that's really good. The process of assigning culpability is a waste of time and energy that could otherwise be used to find solutions. So Jesus shows up probably just as they are thinking that this can't get any worse. Probably just as everyone is resolved to thinking this is bad, this can't get any worse. It's as bad as it could be for anybody. And Jesus walks in, and he looks at the situation, and he says, you know what this situation could use? You know what you need is some mud. You know what would really help is some wet dirt, because wet dirt fixes everything. Doesn't make sense to me. Does not make sense to me. But you know what? It doesn't have to because Jesus doesn't owe me an explanation. He can do whatever he wants. He's Jesus. It's in his job description. And sometimes what he wants to do is actually to see, are you ready for change? Are you ready to step into your next season? Are you really sick and tired of being sick and tired? Because if you're comfortable enough, leaving well enough alone, then you can answer your own prayers. But if you need a change, if you can't stand to stay the same anymore, then you're willing to let God do whatever he wants to do, even if it doesn't make sense to you. See, I believe that this young man thought to himself, so far, this day is going exactly like yesterday went. And the day before that. And the day before that. And actually all the days before that. So, yes, Jesus, I'm tired of staying the same. I'm tired of being in this condition. Yes, Jesus, please put mud on my face. Now, I imagine that some wise guy around there probably saw him and said, Are you really going to let Jesus put mud on your face? And, and that blind, the blind man responds, Yeah, sure, why not? It looks fine to me. See, that's funny because he was blind. <laughs> so the man went and he washed his face and Jesus gave him his sight. And all of a sudden, his entire existence changed. All of a sudden, everything changes for this guy. He had heard Birds sing before, but now he could see them fly. He had felt the warmth of the sun before, but now he could see the sky. He had tasted the sweetness of fruit before, but now he could see the vine. He had smelled the fragrance of a perfumed woman before. And now he could gaze upon her beauty. Pastor Tony, how do you know that she was beautiful? Because he didn't have a frame of reference. <laughs> Can you imagine this young man seeing a beautiful young lady for the first time? Must have gone out of his mind. You know, I can imagine him. I can picture him going over to her 
now that he could see, right? He's showing off his eyes. He goes over to him and says, hey, I noticed you <laughs> noticing me, and I want to put you on notice that I noticed you too. See, the Bible doesn't tell us what his name was. Maybe his name was Tony. Maybe he went over to her and said, hey, my name is Tony. You know what that is backwards? Why not? <laughs> For the record, I never used that line on my wife. For the record. Maybe he used the whole blind thing to his advantage. Hey, how you doing? Didn't you used to be blind? You know, I was. But I found Jesus just so that I could see you. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us his reactions to the things that he saw, but it does tell us who he saw. And remember that his family had been living with the stigma of condemnation for their sick child. So it's telling that he did not immediately go to see his parents. You know, he had never seen the color of his father's eyes. He had never seen his mother smile. But it wasn't a priority for him. It appears that at some point in time, their home team had become divided. Mark chapter 3, verse 25, Jesus says, Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And in the years that had passed with the young man's future looking so bleak, it seems that the family had become increasingly overwhelmed by feelings that they did not belong. And eventually, eventually they stopped communicating. They stopped talking to each other. They stopped communicating. Don't stop communicating, people. Don't stop communicating. I don't know a lot about baseball. I don't. Um, I put on the jersey and the hat because it's a new series and it's a baseball thing. But I don't know a lot about baseball. I won't tell Pastor Steve if you don't. But one thing that I do know is that there's constant communication in baseball. Constant communication. The pitcher and the catcher constantly communicating, right? Uh, coaches and runners constantly communicating. Managers and bullpens constantly communicating. See, communication is an essential part of the success of a team. Any team whether it be the Yankees or the Mets or your one group, and especially your family. When a team stops communicating, that team stops winning. When your team stops communicating, your team stops winning. Now, Maybe your home team is just you and your spouse. Maybe you say, Pastor, listen, I don't even try to communicate with my husband anymore. He never listens to me. I can't get him to do anything. He's as stubborn as a mule. Don't look at your neighbor right now. Well, you know, I think that um, a stubborn as a mule husband is maybe the best kind of husband to have. You can get that man to do... <laughs> You can, I'm going to hear another amen in a second. You can get that man to do anything as long as you learn to dangle the right carrot. Now, some of the brothers here might go, well, listen, pastor, I hear what you're saying. It's not fair, though, because, you know, my wife is stubborn, and I can't dangle the carrot. It doesn't work the other way. I tried it. Well, my brother, maybe... The kind of carrot that you should be dangling is a kind of carrot that's spelled with a K. And all the ladies said, when was the last time, seriously, when was the last time you did something truly nice, just a nice gesture for your spouse? Now, I'll tell you, I, have, I don't have it all figured out. I don't. I don't have it all figured out. 
Um, if you see my wife, she'll tell you that I don't have it all figured out. But when was the last time you did something nice? Don't give up on communicating. Don't stop trying. Don't give up on your home team. There's healing on the way. See, I think that if this family had had healthy communication, that this young man would have wanted to make sure that the first people that he got in touch with, the first people that he spoke to were his parents. I, if they had healthy communication, he wanted to, would have wanted to go and talk to them and tell them about this amazing experience. He would have wanted to go and see their faces and then go look at his own reflection to see whether or not there was a family resemblance. He would have wanted to go over there and see, am I as tall as dad? Or is my hair color the same hair color as mom? If she doesn't dye it. But this family had grown apart for some time. And this story confirms it. Now, can I blame them? Honestly, can I blame them? I can't judge. I don't know what it's like to go through that particular situation. I can't judge. I imagine that his parents, that they felt like they didn't belong in their own community because of the way that people treated them, the way that people stared at them, the way that people whispered as they walked by. You know, maybe on occasion they actually heard people talking. They maybe heard some misguided hypothesis about who sinned and what that sin was. Because you know we love those juicy details. And their son, this young man, being the only one in his home who was different, it's not hard to imagine that he felt like he didn't belong. What a terrible thing. What a terrible, terrible thing to feel that you don't belong because you're different, because you don't fit in with everyone else. You're sick. You're short. You have a different skin color. Or you speak with an accent. Did you know that one of the things that, one of the privileges that I have is to oversee our ESL program, English for Speakers of Other Languages. And we meet with our students once a week, just once a week, Monday nights. And we have new students coming week after week after week after week. Now, there are other programs in Nassau County that meet three times a week, meet five times a week. But these students are coming here. Do you know why? I'm glad you asked. Because I've heard story after story that they go to these places, and when they're asked to speak out loud or to read out loud, as soon as they mispronounce something, or they have a thick accent, that they're looked at differently, and that they're treated differently. Now, I'm going to share a dirty little secret with you today. It's a dirty little secret. There are folks, there are people who are enlightened. And they're so enlightened that race issues don't affect them. They're okay with anybody of any color. But as soon as they speak to somebody who has an accent, they look down on that person. And so these folks are coming to our little ESL program because they feel like they belong. Because where they were... They didn't feel like they belonged. And so this is something that, something that is heavy on my heart. And so one of the things that I'm looking to do is create a spirit of unity within our church. And I could use your help, frankly. See, what I want to do is I want to create an excellent and united experience for our brothers and sisters, our attenders, who speak Spanish. And the way that we've done that is that we've expanded our translation team. So if you're in church and you see somebody with the headphones, they're not listening to the game. They're listening to the translation. And we've got buttons. Now we have people on our connections team, ushers, uh, 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 greeters, ushers, altar workers, who wear these buttons that say, Se habla español. So that if someone comes in and they speak Spanish, they can easily identify someone who can minister to their life 
And it's a seamless experience that is as excellent as anything else that we do. And my vision is that we won't stop with Spanish. That's my vision. But for now, that's where we're starting. So if you are bilingual English and Spanish, Bethlehem needs your help. You can help to assimilate people, and you can help to make their experience excellent. If that's you, please shoot me an email or come and see me. We can use your help. But the truth is that people are made to feel left out all the time. At work, at school, and even at church. And that's not funny. See, I like to have a good time. Those of you who have taken one of my classes know that we like to laugh. And, um, you, you know, from time to time, people have asked me, they say, you know, Pastor Tony, how is it that you're so quick? How is it that you always have a joke just like that? You're so funny. Lisa Norwood says, Pastor Tony, you're so fresh. <laughs> and the truth is this, is that it's a defense mechanism. It's a defense mechanism. You see, I'm what's called under height. I explained that to my growth class this week, and they didn't realize that I meant that uh, I'm under height for my weight. That means I struggle with my weight, for those of you who are str struggling to keep up with this conversation. <laughs> and so I have always been overweight from when I was a kid. As a matter of fact, in my adult life, at one point, I weighed 50 pounds more than I weigh right now. And, that, and that's a true story. And so I learned very quickly that people could be cruel. I learned very quickly that kids could be cruel, but not only kids, grown-ups. And so I learned that if I beat you to the punchline, I can take control of the conversation. And now it's a defense mechanism. Now I just do it. Sometimes I try to stop and I can't. And here's the interesting thing. We started out this passage, and the passage starts out with the disciples asking Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his family? They're looking to assign blame. These are the guys who walk with Jesus every day, who talk with Jesus every day. Jesus poured himself into these guys. And they're quick to assign blame. And the truth is that even some people who are very spiritual Christian people are quick to point fingers, assign blame, and sometimes be cruel. Same person that you can go to and you can say, I have a drinking problem. That person will say, well, you know what, let me get you into a 12-step program or celebrate recovery. And you go to that person and you say, I have a heroin problem. And they say, let me get you over to Teen Challenge. And you go to that person, you say, I committed adultery, I have marital problems. And they say, let's get you some counseling. You go over to them, you say, I struggle with my weight. They say, well, maybe you shouldn't have had that last cheeseburger. <laughs> now, I'm a grown man. I'm 30, 12 years old. <laughs> with a family of my own. I'm a pastor. And I still get treated that way. It's terrible to feel that you don't belong. This young man, he had been reduced to being a beggar. That's all that society would let him be. There were no options for him. He was literally left out of everything that was going on around him. So it's pretty easy to conclude that he would have felt like he did not belong. I wonder, are we making anyone feel left out of our lives, intentionally or not? Are we making anyone feel like they don't belong at home, at school, at work, or even here? The truth is that the feelings of not belonging, if left unchecked, lead to destructive behavior. They lead to self-harming. So think about 
the fact that that's what this man had gone through. And now all of a sudden this man could see for the first time and he does not go straight home to his family. He'd rather sit and talk with some neighbors. His family was fractured. His home team was handicapped. Now this is important. The change that Jesus had brought about in this man's life was so significant that some of his neighbors didn't recognize him. Who's blind now? Jesus not only gave him sight, Jesus impacted his perception. It wasn't just that he could see, his entire outlook had been changed. He was happy. He was giddy. He was different. In fact, it was so different that the whole ordeal came under scrutiny. And so the young man is presented to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees begin to interrogate him and ask him questions and debate with him. And they were having a hard time believing that he had ever been blind at all. Because that's what happens when Jesus comes along. There's nearly no evidence of what Jesus got you through. It's like those three Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel that got thrown into the fiery furnace. Jesus came along, and when all was said and done and they pulled him out, they didn't even smell like famous Dave's. There was no hint of barbecue anywhere. And that's what happens. When Jesus comes along, there's nearly no evidence of what you've been through. That's why I would caution you. I would caution you against being jealous or being envious of anyone's position, of anyone's role, of anyone's influence, because you don't know how they got there. You see a snapshot of my destination, not a snapshot of my journey. And so it's hard for these Pharisees to comprehend that this guy had ever been blind. Even some of his neighbors thought that he was just a lookalike, just a doppelganger. So the Pharisees have no choice but to send for the young man's parents. Now think, at this point, it's probably been a couple of hours since the whole ordeal happened, right? He went, Jesus put the mud on his face. He went and he washed, started talking to the neighbors, coming to the Pharisees. So it's probably been a couple of hours. Notice that getting his parents involved was still not his idea. It still wasn't a priority for him to get his parents involved because his home was fractured. And so they bring his parents in, and now his parents are subject to interrogation. Is this your son? Was he born blind? How can he now see? And this is where the scriptures really kind of show us how fractured this family is. It's like this conversation, this discussion is all happening over here. And here's the parents, and the parents are like, okay, hold on. Here's what we know. We know that he's our son, and we know that he was born blind. But here's what we don't know. We don't know how he can see or who healed him. So he's old enough. Let him just speak for himself as they back away from the whole thing. family was fractured. The home team was handicapped. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that family's name. It doesn't even tell us how or even if they work things out eventually. You know, I think that many times when the Bible doesn't give us the name of a person, I think it's because God is giving us the opportunity to insert our own name here. I think that we're able to look at, at what Jesus is doing in the scripture and go, man, he can do that for me. And the reason why it doesn't give us the specifics of how they worked it out is because your situation is going to vary from mine. How you work things out is going to be different from how I work things out. But one thing is for sure. When Jesus gave that man sight, he was in fact giving the entire family the means to succeed. This was a home team healing. Think about it. When he gave that young man the ability to see 
He was giving him the ability to learn his father's vocation, thus giving him an opportunity to bond and connect with his father in a way that had previously been impossible. When Jesus gave sight to that young man, he gave him the ability to obtain and provide for a wife and children. The ability to have a house full of grandchildren for his mother and a way to connect with her in a way that he never imagined. Jesus gave that family an opportunity to step in from the margins of society. Jesus gave the family what they needed to be able to hold their heads up high. Jesus gave that family dignity. That father would be able to grow his family business with his son. That father would be able to go over and speak with other distinguished and influential men in the community and talk about how his son is taking over the family business. That mother would be able to go to the market with her head held high and maybe even brag a little bit about the stuff she was buying for her grandchildren. When Jesus came along that day, he didn't just give sight to a blind man. He gave vision to an entire family. He gave them vision to see hope. He gave them vision to see possibilities. He gave them vision to see a future. Come on, if I wasn't so busy preaching, I'd be amening my butt off. Too late. If your family needs hope today, if your home team needs healing, I want to declare to you simply that Jesus is able. Maybe you're carrying a burden for one of your children. This is the moment to let Jesus muddy up the situation if he is so inclined, if he so chooses, because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Maybe you don't have children, but your marriage is struggling. You stopped communicating and you don't know how to fix things. I want to declare to you, that Jesus is able to fix and restore even the most broken of marriages. I've seen him do it. But you will need to trust him. And you'll need to do your part. Now as the worship team comes back, I want to share one final thought with you. But first I want to drink a little bit of water. The Bible says that when the Pharisees heard this young man's story, they actually cursed him. They cursed him because he gave credit for his healing to Jesus. You see, not everybody is going to be happy to see you get well. Not everybody is going to be excited about your breakthrough. Some people need for you to feel inferior so that they can feel superior. Even some people who are supposed to celebrate your wins can sometimes curse you. But don't let that discourage you. Don't let that affect you. Don't let it stop you. Don't let it phase you. Jesus came along at just the right time. And he put mud on the eyes, just over the eyes of that young man. And he told the young man to go and wash. He told him, go and wash, rinse your face in the pool of Siloam. And that word, Siloam, it means scent. Now, I didn't make that up. I didn't write it in your Bible last night. It's right there in verse 7. That word means scent. See, you've been stuck in the same rut. You've been stuck in the same situation. You've been stuck in the same sickness for long enough. Jesus has come along and he is determined to send you to your new season. He's determined 
to send you to your new destiny. So when you finally arrive at your healing and someone says to you, you're not supposed to be here, you can tell them, Jesus sent me. When you finally arrive at your deliverance and someone says you're not supposed to be here, you can tell them, Jesus sent me. When you finally arrive at your promotion and someone says you're not supposed to be here, you can tell them, Jesus sent me. When you finally arrive at the restoration of your marriage and someone says you're not supposed to be here, you can tell them, Jesus sent me. And when you finally arrive at the place where your children repent and they get saved, sanctified, and spirit-filled, and someone says you're not supposed to be here, you can tell them, Jesus sent me. And when you finally arrive at your victory and the devil says you're not supposed to be here, you can tell them, devil, Jesus sent me. Jesus sent me. Jesus sent me. Somebody, get up on your feet. Get up on your feet right now all over this house. Come on. Get up on your feet. I want you to say, Jesus sent me. You can do better than that. Say, Jesus sent me. Say, Jesus sent me. See, when Jesus sends you somewhere, there is no demon, no devil, no obstacle, no nothing that can get in your way. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can keep you from reaching what Jesus has said is for you. Jesus sent me. Bible says that when that man had the encounter with Jesus that he was blind but you know what when all was said and done when all of the conflict was resolved Jesus went and he found that man and that man was able to see Jesus Jesus found that man and he introduced himself properly some of you here maybe you haven't been introduced to Jesus properly maybe you don't know him maybe you don't know where you're going to spend your eternity but I want to tell you that the man who is orchestrating your home team healing wants to know you personally he wants to be introduced to you properly his arms are wide open this is the moment If you haven't met him, then I'm going to invite you to come out of your seat and come forward. So we want to introduce you properly. And maybe your family needs some home team healing. Maybe your marriage needs some home team healing. Then I'm going to ask you to come out of your seat. Come out of your seat and let us pray for you. Maybe your kids need some home team healing. Then bring your kid. Come, let's pray for you and your kid. And if your kid's not here, come stand in proxy for your child. If you're up in the balcony, you can come down. We'll want to pray with you. We'll wait. But I said a little while ago that if anyone here was going through the pain of having a sick child or having lost a child or someone important to them, that I wanted to meet you. And that I want to pray with you. And I don't want to forget that. 